Kaikitia ko te nākau, kaikitia ko nā whatu. E ngā hau e whā e whakarongo mai ana, he mehi tēnei ki a koutou katoa. Ko Justine Murray tēnei, no mai haramai ki te whare o Tiahika. Welcome to Tiahika, and what a special show it is. Imagine telling someone that you want to live in another place for two years, but it ends up being much, much longer. So we moved in 59. I said, well, wait on, how long are we going there for, Kare? <laughs> he said, two years, two years. Yes, well, we came back 2002. It was 40-odd years that we were there. Nō te arua a Katerina Daniels, who is one of the five Sir Kingi Ihaka Award recipients at Te Wakatoi Awards. And what a lovely kuia she is, Katerina is on tonight's programme. That's a little later on. Our intrepid reporter and honorary Tiahika member, Melody Thomas, is back. And we know you remember this. We find out what Emma Pucky has been up to since her system virtue days. A collection of poetry by Pacific poet Carlo Miller is reviewed by fellow writer Leilani Unasa. Plus, we've got Carlo reading some of her works. First up, though, it's a milestone. We're up to the 100th Tiahika programme. So, Mariah, you've been here from the start. What's a memory that sticks out? Well, there's a couple. Our first show back in September of 2006, we did a mihi, a tribute to Māori broadcasters who had been through Radio New Zealand. And there's been a few. There was Wirumu Pāka, Hinare Te Ua, uh, sadly... Less than a year later, I was at his tangihana. And then there was the tangihana of them all, that of the Ariki Nui Dame Te Atairangi Kahu. I will never, ever forget standing at the foot of Tōpiri Maunga and talking to Sir Paul Reeves as we watched multitudes, and I'm talking multitudes, ascend the Maunga. That was amazing. Well, it's only been a short time here for me, but I think a highlight so far has been our Taonga Toi, our Te Wakatoi, awards honouring our kaumātua. And that's the thing about this job, eh, Justine? We get to hang out and portray the diversity of Māori every week here on Te Ahika. It's a true privilege. Indeed it is. So don't run away when you see us coming. That's right. When I'm running towards you with my microphone, <laughs> don't say you don't want to talk to me. You could be on Te Ahika. Now the theme of our language segment is partying, given it's our 100th episode, and that's what we're off to do later on tonight. Social or an event at night can be called pō whakangahau, like the last night spent with the two pāpaku at a tangihanga is called pō whakangahau. Because you sing, laugh, play the guitar, share stories, so if that's pō whakangahau, a day function or a celebration in the mid to late afternoon is a ra whakangaho. Notice the slight word change with poor and ra. Poor is night and ra is day. How about venues for a social gathering? Here's one. Pub is papara kota. Now that's a transliteration at the pub. There is waipiro to buy. Waipiro is alcohol. Yes, and you don't want too much of that. You may have heard this one, food is kai. Yep, you may need some of that at about 4am in the morning. Clothes to get all snazzed up is kākahu. 
Hanging with mates is a way to ensure you have a good friend. Friend is hoa. And if you refer to your mates as aku hoa, then you are saying my mates. So here's a sentence. E hoa, haramai ki te hukuna he inu maku. If you think you can translate that, then flick us an email to tiahika at radionz.co.nz. We'll hook you up with a special prize. Koe ranga kupu hau mo tēnei wā. On the eve of the Te Wakatui Awards, Katerina and Montero Daniel celebrated 56 years of marriage. Katerina is a retired teacher and weaver. Now She hails from Te Arua and has taught at Tai Pautini in Te Waipaunamu and shares her expertise with Waiariki Polytechnic in Rotorua. I was there to catch the action at Ngā Taonga Toi a Te Wakatui, recognising the achievements of Kroa Menga Kuya. Katauka <coughs> Kotuhaurangi 
ki tēnei, um, ki tēnei tohu. Tika tunu o kōrero e honore nui. Kaore ana ke kia hau, ki tākui nei titiro, ki te motu hoki. No te mea no te arawa hau, engari i noho au i te waipau namu no reira taku hoaranga tira no te waipau namu, no ngā i tahu. Ana nā ngā i tahu, i api mai, i mirimiri mai i āhau, ana nā rātau i homai tēnei honore. Ana kai te tino rawea hau mō tēnei tohu, nā rātau ngā i tahu ki a koutou katoa, i runga i te motu o te waka a Māori, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Well, I was fortunate that uh, I went to St. Joseph's in Green Meadows, went to training college in Auckland, and that's where I met my darling. (laughs) And we married at the time I was, uh, once I was certificated, we got married. And that happened to be yesterday on the 28th, 29th of August, we got married. And uh, so we've been married for 56 years now, going to the 57th year. Yes. And um, what happened was I went and taught at Horohoro School, where I went to school, and that's where I was certificated. From there, we lived in Rotorua for a while, and my husband uh, decided to go home. He said, I'd like to go home and take our children. By then we had three children to the South Island and uh, so I'd meet his parents and all his whānau there. So we moved in 59. I said, well, wait on, how long are we going there for, (laughs) Kare? He said, two years, two years. Yes, well, we came back 2002. (laughs) It was 40 odd years that we were there. But the time I spent in Te Waipaunamu was a wonderful uh, experiences I had amongst the people. I travelled up and down the South Island because my husband was involved in the tribal affairs of people of Ngaitahu there. And uh, his hapu out at Wairiwa as well. And uh, on the Māori Council, he was a delegate there. And uh, we travelled up to Nelson, to Picton, to Waikawa, right mm. down to Murihiku, met a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. And I happened to be working at um, at a social welfare welfare home in Christchurch, and um, the head of department of um, Maori language at Christchurch Polytech, his name was Dick Hockley. He, uh, he came and asked if I was, wouldn't mind helping out, and Maori hadn't been taught in the, wasn't being taught at the Polytech. And he invited me for six weeks. He said, I'll give you a trial for six <laughs> weeks. And I said, well, I'll have to be released. So I was released from social welfare, went there for six weeks, and it was all new to me, you know, because I wasn't taught to, to teach Maori, but I thought, you know, it was in there. He did a tonu te wairua, mm-hmm. o taku krau, ngā kuia, mm-hmm. o te kāinga. So I started there, and that's how I began my journey from there. And they extended my six weeks, and then in the end they gave me a permanent position. And from there, I, uh, I, it was six-week block courses in those days. 
and the teachers were released, you know, for professional development to come to Polytech. And it was just basic Māori and tikanga mm. and all mm. that. And I used to visit the marais around Christchurch. Rāpaki, I'd go and visit Rāpaki, take my students there for an overnight couple of nights stay. Then we'd go out to Wairewa, Little River, go to Akaroa, go around so that my students would understand that yeah. there are marae around Christchurch. And we also went over to Port Levy. Wonderful, wonderful experiences I've had. And I'm truly thankful, yes. During that 40, 40 years, mm-hmm. did you yearn for home? Yes, I did. I was fortunate that I could always come home when there was a tangihanga mm. or a birthday. I'd come back to Rotorua. But by the time, whilst I was there, my crow who brought me up had passed away. Mm. Then my stepmother, God, Kiri Maniapoto, God Kiddo, passed away too. So I had cousins in that, but no close family. But eventually, you know, I still went home. But now I'm glad I'm back in Rotorua mm, amongst the Waiariki and the Ngāwha and <laughs> yeah. all that. Mm. And so you've, um, you've worked alongside Christchurch, Taipotini, Waiariki yes. Polytechnics. Yes. And how has that experience been? Well, uh, over at Taipotini, it's very isolated over there. But I only had small classes there, you know, because it's uh, the distance. But it was interesting there. The people were keen to learn te reo Māori. And I was there for two years in the term in Taipotini. Wonderful people, wonderful scenery. I told my students we're living in the best part of the world. Mm. They've got the snow-capped mountains, the southern Alps, then the forestry along, uh, lying on the mountains down to the blue of the Tasman, and they go, oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> said, when you travel away, you'll always long for that view. And I'm sure a lot of them have. Oh, but it's been wonderful. I've been blessed. Yeah. I really have. And um, when you first heard about this this, res- uh, this award, oh, yes. what's your first reaction? <laughs> yes. Well, actually, when Ranui Ngārimu rang me, I got a bit of a shock. <laughs> I, did, I thought, what's this all about? And she said, oh, you know, mō o mahi e te waipaunamu, te ako e te reo, manganui te wīdahira. Well, to me, that was a job. You know, he mahi tēnā. You weren't looking for no, accolades? no. And she said, and I was a bit you know, taken aback, she said, would you like to be involved? And I said, well, thank you very much for that, Anna. Yes, but it's not only for me, it's for the people who have helped me yes. too along the way. I couldn't do it alone. Rātou katoa, aku mihi ki rātou. Ki tangata katoa, rātou i mirimiri mai āhau. No reira e hoa mā mō tēnei hōnore tino nui whakahiraira. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou te wakatoi i hōmai tēnei ki au. No reira, ki o rarawātu tātou. Daniel's family have taken over the stage. <laughs> <laughs>
Napu Manawa e Waru Otearoa, Katerina Daniels, Nga Mihinui Kiakwe. I'm Justine Murray, and for more information about the program, our show and podcast, you can go to the website radionz.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Victory to the People, Nikolasi is Born, is one of the poems featuring in Carlo Miller's latest book, A Well Written Body. The collection deals with dual heritage, New Zealand-born, island-born, you know, just the average things a New Zealand-born Pacific Island mother and wife think about. Themes fellow poet and writer Leilani Unasa can relate to. Uh, well, I think Carlo's one of those poets that um, will be a joy to kind of watch when she um, comes into her own as a poet. And as her second collection, I think she's... You know, you can see the parts of her and her writing that have matured since her first book, um, Dreamfish Floating. Dreamfish Floating, that's the one. Um, and she's still quite young, so I'd expect her to have a really quite a long life as a poet, and it's, it's, it's a good collection. There's some parts of it which are really fantastic, and there's other parts which are... Um, probably, you know, she's still kind of testing out what she she really wants to say through through the kind of poetic form. So um, it's definitely well worth a read, and it's got some beautiful paintings, um, which would be I'd love to have a painting of myself <laughs> on on my book of poetry that's um, done by Delicia as well. So uh, yeah, it looks lovely. It'll be one of those coffee table books that many people will buy. She sectioned the the work out into how many have we got? One, two, three, four, five. Um, kind of chapters and for me the biggest one that I kind of put my my finger on was I'm not a play centre mother and it was simply because it spoke to me as a as a not a play centre mother as well. I am not a play centre mother. I have walked through the valley of cracked nipples, lanolin and cabbage leaves on burning breasts. I have won pink ribboned medal for breast is best son, one booby prize for the other one, consolation boy who sucked soy from silicon. Yes, 
One child stretched my stomach, the other broke my back. But this speaks nothing of my egg-shaped world cracked open by teaspoon mouths, little teeth growing against gums. Life is like that then, the split crack of soft flesh by something harder than you expected. Two birds hand to mouth at our unsteady four-legged table. And that was um, talking about, you know, I suppose the expectations that we have of mothers today and um, how well or how how she doesn't really fit into that. So she's got fantastic um, lines. This is my little baby, <laughs> Delicia, about what has she got? She's got here, life is like that then, the split crack of soft flesh by something harder than you expect. And she talks about that in, in reference to, to little babies teething. Um, but also, you know, obviously it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, she's got lots of references in here to her family, to her two sons. She's got two little boys and to her husband. And she's, it's really quite fascinating because as a poet, she's, you know, she's been critically acclaimed with her first collection. But um, she's got a whole other life where she's, um, you know, a, a professional in the health sector and, and, and research. So as a writer, she draws on a lot of different um parts of her and you see that all in her work and I think that gives it um, a depth um, and I think it resonates with a lot of young young women today particularly if, if you're a Māori or Pacific woman in New Zealand growing up where you have so many different expectations from all other parts of your life. And she makes reference to her dual heritage yeah. a bit eh, as, she a, does. as Palangi, mm. as Tongan. She's got a fantastic poem in here about um, called creation myth, and it, it tells the story I suspect of you know how mum meets dad, and it's I, I love the way she's placed it as you know um, these her mother and father as these mythical creatures. It's a really nice way of, of looking at that. Um, well, I'm just assuming that it's her mother and father. It could be anyone actually, but you know this is set a creation with set in the in Rotorua in the 70s and you can just kind of picture everything around that um and what was happening and i definitely kind of related with my own parents which was in the 70s in Auckland mm-hmm. creation myth 1 the legend he was maui tiki tiki ataranga the demigod living a legend in the post oil industrial crisis of the 70s At the age of 18, he hopped on the back of a rainbow, caught the tail of the fourth wind, and dropped into the umbilicus of Aotearoa, Rotorua, amongst hissing geysers. His signature burn, a gnarled and knotted left hand, from crawling into Mahuika's anger, melted fingers and a hook hand of singed flesh, a fingernail growing hard like a human diamond in the corner of his wrist. 2. The Story They met at the intersection of Hinemoa and Tutanikai streets. He, you're the one that I want. She, don't cry for me, Argentina. They ended up 
going to the chapel ended up going to get married. Three, the myth. She was twenty times removed from Sina, the eel queen. The slick of her long dark locks was the only part of her white body to remember this. They had met before. It had worked out that time. Taupo and demigod, they had loved each other, perfectly, like a myth, like a legend, like a story with a good ending. Four, the reincarnation. He was a painter's apprentice, with no written words, little English, a mouth on fire. She was a kindergarten teacher, Princess Di in training, with a dead farmer for a father. Five, the trailer in the movie. They met at the intersection of Hinemora and Tutanakai streets. He chalked up his pool cue with blue and aimed for the white. This was key to winning in the post-oil industrial crisis of the 70s. Six, the love scene. One night... He removed his steel-studded black leather watch, the one with the cracked and broken face of time, and put it on the bedside and touched her tenderly. One week, he burned his black power jacket and told his friends never to come to his house again. One month, the moon turned a strange shade of red, her oral contraceptive was entranced by the siren of the sea sky gods and forgot its science. She was flushed into creation in a moment of forgetfulness, in a moment of aching, faking silence. 7. The Adaptation he Maui Tikitikia Taranga shortens his name to Maui and takes on the Dutch surname of a long-dead half-caste ancestor. It is easier to spell. It will be easier for his children. 8. The Creation Myth She was born on an old par site, on a hill overlooking a sacred lake in the umbilicus of Aotearoa, far from home. She is given a made-up kind of name, misspelled, to trick the spirits into letting her live. All the other girls were taken. 9. The TV Movie Consequences She was a sweet, pretty baby, skin the colour of peaches. If she was good enough, perfect enough, clever enough, pretty enough and well-behaved enough for the rest of her life, she might keep the bad fairies away. 10. The consequences in the book. When her hair came, it was knotted and tangled like a hurricane. Later, in her twenties, she went quite mad. When the voices, full of speed and mania, entered her head, her father combed her hurricane hair, full of knots and twisted pieces, back to calm and saved her life. He said, Once I tried to use those dreams to win the horses. Then I lost it. They never came back. I didn't care, because they scared me anyway. She said nothing.
11. The End Sina sighs in the memory of her mother, who cuts off her long locks and wears her hair short for the rest of her life. Maui finds redemption in the little smiling face of his grandson and finally defeats Henenui de Ball. The girl, grown up, wears her hurricane hair long. Some days she twists it into a tight little bun high on top of her head. You can see there are probably about two or three different sides to her um, through her work here and there's, there's the one that, you know, is that kind of lush, um, real feminine side. There's, there's one that kind of speaks as a quite a critique to what she sees and thinks and that's a lot of that she's um, expressed in her poems about um, the death of the king in Tonga. Sorry, the, the king of Tonga. Um, and then there's another side which is, you know, is very, very personal and intimate. And she's when she's writing um, to her husband and to her, her two sons. So you definitely get a sense of um, who she is at this point in time. And that's what attracts me to her work. She's not afraid to let you in. And she's got this really lovely poem for her, her son, um, her first boy, and a lovely poem for her, her second boy. And I think she, there, there was, for the second boy, she talks about um, being on a protest, I think, um, and kind of hiking up Queen Street, nine months pregnant, mm. carrying a toddler. You know, for anybody who's done that, you just think, oh, my God. <laughs> You just feel like you want to drop, and I've I've done that before. Mm. So, you know, it's lovely little things like that, images that she kind of conjures up, which are quite domestic, but at the same time, I think, really speaks to quite a wide audience. Nine. I am pregnant. Three days to go. I am marching, in the sun, holding a sign the whole way up Queen Street. Peace and fairness in Tonga. The words are dripping. My muscles strong from carrying my one-year-old son, the other swinging in my belly. Her poetry here, which is pretty much in reaction to a lot of, of the current events of the time of publishing or the time that she writes. So she talks about um, the rights in Tonga, talks about being on a, a kind of, a, you know, going on the plane to uh, accompany officials to attend the King of Tonga's funeral and what that's like. Um, but she was also asked to write um, poems in response to the King of Tonga's um, death. So she, you know, she had quite a big role in that for her community here and also in Tonga. And it's for a young woman, I think that, you know, because she's probably only in her early 30s now, um, that would have been quite a responsibility. So... Um, she is somebody who can enjoy seeing a lot of different um, parts of the Pacific and parts of New Zealand. Mm. So in that way, I think she's definitely a very contemporary poet. Ten. I am pregnant. One day to go. I have a secret agenda. I have an agenda hidden behind the ribs of my chest. The agenda that is agendaless. The mother of all agendas. 
I think one of the other reasons that Carlo's poems really spoke to me was probably because, again, you know, she's talking about all these different parts of her and she's not afraid to to be quite honest about it, um, but sometimes don't really join up that comfortably. And um, I think a lot of young women in particular in New Zealand, um, where you come from different places and everybody has um, experiences where they they kind of have a clash of, of expectations and values. But I think in particular there's a growing part of, of the Pacific community, which Carla was part of and which I'm part of, where you know, you're highly competent, hopefully, most of the time, young women who have quite a heavy load to um, to carry. And it's big you know, I suppose it's a typical children of migrants. You know, you're expected to be able to carry on that legacy and you know, exponentially I think sometimes, um, and to fulfil all the promises that that everybody before kind of had when they had their little dreams. I'm not sure if my father came over here for anything more than a good time and some money in his pocket, but at some point in time he must have had those, <laughs> those dreams for his children because he kind of keeps talking about them. <laughs> so, yeah, and and the book itself simply just looks really lovely. I mean, Carly looks stunning on the cover and and um, the paintings by Delicia are really fantastic. So it's, it's a good good book to have around the house. And if if it's your first kind of introduction into poetry, I think it's a good one to ha- to, to get. I'm not an easy reader reader of poetry, so for me, um, I could stay quite engaged. Yeah. The collection does open with her kind of exploring, you know, all of the different. Um, Ideals of being a Tongan woman and of being a you know a, a Tongan woman in New Zealand or or being a part Tongan part something else and and she refers to that I think and and how she she calls the blue eyed people or blue eyed girl or blue eyed so and so who are obviously people who are Tongan and maybe that might be some kind of colloquial term that that's used for that so um, I think yeah she definitely has strong feelings about where she is and that being Tongan and being from New Zealand and having a Balangi mother and a, a Tongan father are, are defining characteristics for her at this point in her writing life. Do you, do you think she has a distinct voice? I think she's I think she's beginning to get there and I think um, it'll be really exciting when she's able to be you know to find that voice as a poet, and um, just to be true to it, regardless of what it says, I think that's that's a time which um, you know she's got a lot of promise in these this work, and it does come out definitely um, in this collection. But it will, you know, I suppose it's like you know people who who are singers, you know, you, you sometimes you have to wait quite a long time for the voice to mature, and it comes out, and it's just it's just quite explosive and I, you get the f- definite feeling from her that there's a lot, lot more to come. Leilani Unasa reviewing poet Carlo Miller's latest collection of poetry, A Well-Written Body, published by Huia Publishers. It's out now. I'm from the Bay of Plenty. 
Pagatani in Taranga, and I'm a muso. Oxygen of Love came out. You were how old? 28? 25? Did you have any idea when you were making that album quite how successful it was going to be? I mean, most people would know your name and most people would be able to sing along to a bit of that album. I didn't know. No, I didn't. I sort of didn't know what to expect. But we were taking it slowly. You'd been making music for 20 years at that stage. At that stage. Well, apparently you started when you were eight. Yeah. I won my first talent quiz when I was eight. Did you? Yeah. Was that a song you'd written yourself, or was that performing something someone had taught you? No, I didn't start writing till I was about ten or something. Oh, that late. (laughs) (laughs) She was a late learner. So at eight, who was it that, that introduced you to music or did you kind of find your own way there? Well, I started piano lessons and, and guitar when I was about, well, when I was eight, but when I was seven I started playing the guitar. The aunties down the road sort of taught me and they were sort of like teenagers and I used to, you know, spend a lot of time there. But I didn't, yeah, I, I just was a bit surprised at the sound of my voice, you know. Um, but it's a known fact that Māori are pretty talented, normally. Yeah. So you would have been, you would have loved that time when you were younger, just singing and playing guitar with your aunties. Yeah. Well, you know, there was ma- mushroom picking and uh, white bait getting. You know, we were little normal little rat bags in the hood. Um, I was undefeated in an arm wrestle. <laughs> Thought I'd throw that one in. <laughs> no, not now. Oh God, they all—they're all bigger than me now. <laughs> yeah, man, I was a little daredevil. Would you say you still are? Uh, no. I, I turned into a girl when I was twelve. Unfortunately, there went my car. All of a sudden, I was a bit of a wuss. <laughs> Don't give it up Give 
I was reading um, about a favourite book of yours when you were 12 that inspired a song. Then was that your first song or was that... Uh, no, that was about my third or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the one I wrote before... Oh, no, the one I wrote after that was about Bob Marley when, when he died. That was called King of Reggae. And the one I wrote before that was called... Um, it was about Jesus. You're mm. running about quite big topics for a 12-year-old there. Oh, well, mm, gee, well, you know, well, if you read the book, it's just like The Hobbit or, or, or The um, Lord of the Rings, you know, or Harry Potter or something like that, or or myths, Māori myths and legends, I used to love those. Well, you know, you, you get a sense of, you know, what's going on, so you really go through it, you really experience it and imagine it. They, they were just facts, eh? They were facts. And I, luckily I had a beautiful, wonderful teacher... Like, see, I, I got ducks of primary school, you know, and, and, and then I went to intermediate, and then the, my Form 1 teacher put me in the sort of dumber class for a Form 2 at intermediate, which is, like, quite funny if you, you just ducks the, you know, um, the primary school. But anyway, the, the, the teacher was wonderful, and, and she knew my grandmother and loved my grandmother, and she was great with the kids, you know with us and very understanding and you know knew, knew the sort of dis- disadvantaged ones and she was just really cool and you know it, that, that's got a lot to do with your, your whole education people like that whom I've had through all, all my life hit the scene it was important to me that I I sort of let it known that well musically through music that there are Maoris in New Zealand <laughs> you know because the, the TV it only it mainly had you know majority white and it, I'm not racist I just know what it's like to be oppressed like in my 40 years of life I've seen you know I was brought up a Māori girl around the marae in the Bay of Plenty daddy used to take me around and I'd I'd be singing his waiata for him after his speeches so yeah um, I wanted it known that you know we were in existence we were here (laughs) we are here 
you know, yeah. Yeah, so one thing that interests me about this album and kind of the purposes for making it and, you know, to say, hey, we exist to Pakeha people and to market it towards them is that once it was recognised and went gold, you would have had a whole lot of Pakeha people who suddenly wanted to be your friend, who suddenly thought you were the best thing since sliced bread, and how did you deal with that? Well, that happened to me when you know when I was 25 when I released the single, the debut single. It was bloody freaky, <laughs> you know. I was used to getting looked down on, you know, and like hanging with the streeties and the street level, and you know, I had done that for like nine years, and yeah, it was really really strange. But I know what it's like to love, you know, like. Stevie Wonder or Renee Gaya, you know. Yeah, so that's really quite mad. Here's this strong young woman out there to make a point and say, hey, we exist, and then suddenly the tables turn and you're like, wait, no, no, forget about me just for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, you know, I'll admit I did lap it up sometimes, you know. Keep what you wish for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's like I don't know if you guys like get get uh, use Bebay. Like when you get given love or something, you know. <laughs> like, oh yeah, bring it on. Or when you get when you get mail in the in the post, you know, it's just a nice feeling. And, and like when when <laughs> someone like goes and like sort of jumps on you and (laughs) says oh you helped me through high school (laughs) and like she's mouldy it's like oh great you know oh cool i'm glad you're doing all right so frustrating because you know to a degree I'm sure good art is born from struggle if you were you know perfectly happy in your little mansion with your little family I can't imagine you have that much then I'll be writing nursery rhymes (laughs) yeah exactly exactly (laughs) but then when an artist has these amazing things happening in her head and has no means to express it then I feel like that struggle's just gone too far yeah um yeah well it's like yeah with struggle comes grip, eh? Yeah. And you've held on in there. Oh, but it. See that this is what I mean. You, you it, people, people think that I've been through a struggle. Well, they've got me wrong. I mean, as I said, I'm cool. <laughs> you know, I've had fun. It's all good. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't need any of a lot of money to be happy. You know. Um, yeah, and sorry that I didn't release my, my album. I'm not going to, you know, put something out that I recorded on a tape deck or anything, you know. <laughs> anything else you'd like to say? Yeah. Um, well, peace. Stand up right. Emma Pucky with Melody Thomas. Anaida Amster Reedy. Me te whakamarama o te whakatauki nei. Ka kite ko te what, uh, kite ko Unless the heart sees, the eyes are never going to see. 
but there's none so blind as those who will not see and you know um, it's all about your hearts and you know Tai mai rā ki te mutunga a te ahikā. Nā mihi nunui ki ngā whānau a te waipaunamu. Yep, loads of thanks to all those Mariah and I met last week. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero katoa. Kia Anna Veal, koutou ko ngā kai whakahaere mihini. Yep, our 100th episode. Roll on 200. I'm Justine Murray. He mihi tēnei ki a koutou. Hei tērā wiki. Mauri ora. <laughs>